It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're glad you're out there and we look forward to hearing from you. The number to call is 877-381-4567. 877-381-4567. You can email questions at collegeview.com. Uh, my name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, will be here shortly. Uh, they are in the uh, auditorium tonight as we are finishing up our gospel meeting. Uh, Jeff Smith from Athens, Alabama, preached tonight on the subject of the work and organization of the church, and that will be our subject on the program tonight. We look forward to hearing from you. Again, the number to call is 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com or join in the chat room with other listeners. I see that we have Anthony, Katie, and Tiffany in Charlotte, North Carolina there tonight and some others as well. If you've not given yourself a uh, username, you can in the lower left-hand corner of your chat window. Uh, you can uh, assign yourself a nickname so that uh, you can be recognized there. You don't have to do that. It's not required. Uh, looks like we have someone from Singapore there tonight as well. So a good uh, audience in the chat room tonight. We look forward to uh, hearing from you uh, on the program as we talk about the organization and work of the church. Um, we have uh, some questions that were posed earlier today uh, for you to consider. Uh, the first question is, what is, are some common errors in the religious world concerning church organization? What are some common errors in the re religious world concerning church organization? Did the Lord intend the church to be engaged in social welfare or reform is the second question for you to consider tonight. And number three, is there a difference between the individual church, the individual Christian, and the church? It's a yes or no question, but we ask you to explain your answer. Is there a difference between the individual Christian and the church? And number four, explain the difference in pattern between the way local churches support preachers to do evangelism and the way one church might assist another in a case of extreme benevolent need those are the four questions for you to consider tonight they're lengthy and they are involved and so we'll go over them as we go through the program tonight we look forward to your participation as we get into the discussion we'll we'll remind you if you're in the columbia tennessee area and we would encourage you to come to our meeting tomorrow night the last night of our meeting tomorrow night at seven o'clock in which you can hear um well let's see here uh here, here come here they come and tomorrow night seven o'clock uh we'll be uh including our meeting. If you cannot make it uh, at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, you're welcome at any time uh, that we meet on a regular basis. And uh, the gentlemen are coming in now. Well, guys, uh, welcome, Jeff. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your sermon tonight. We look forward to discussing it with our listeners. Uh, we've set, set it up. Dad, we're ready to, we're ready to go now uh, to talk about uh, the work of the church. So we have a good audience tonight on the other end, and so we're looking forward to... The discussion. Well, Jacob, I'm assuming that you've already indicated uh, some of the questions that we put out earlier today. For We've gone over that. We're ready to just tear into it. All right. So let's start out by talking about the organization of the church. All Jeff right. covered this in his lesson with us here just a few moments ago, but it's such an important topic for us to consider. Um, 
Jeff, kind of give us a summary. You you did a very excellent job of describing how the church is organized in both a universal way and in a local way. And unfortunately, I think this is a, a concept that's not very well understood in the religious world. We need to get right up close to that mic. Get close to the mic. Okay. Um, what we see in the New Testament is um, the, the Lord's church answers to him. He's the head. Passages like um, Ephesians chapter 1, he's the head of the body, uh, the church being his body. We see passages that deal with the, the term church in a universal sense when he says, I uh, I will build my church. There's there's nothing locally specified about that. So there's there's uh, on a universal level, but on the local level, that's you again. Uh, okay, <laughs> well, you're going again. You don't stop. <laughs> okay, but on a local level, we also have passages that deal with the church in a specified location. When Paul began the Corinthian letter, uh, he said to the church of God, which at, which is at Corinth. So the church is identified both in a in a universal sense, that is to say, um, there, there's no specification of locality. It's just all the saints uh, all over the world, uh, irrespective of place or time. Or we have, uh, we have passages that deal with, well, this church at this place and this church at this place. And so what we've got is two senses in which the word church is yes. used. And, and the context has to bear out which yes. is under consideration. Context always will rule which way we go with that, that the term church. Now, concerning the universal church... The thing that needs to be pointed out is that there is no earthly organization to that church. Right. There is no centralized activity. Uh, there, there's no headquarters where we say, well, this is the this is the place on the earth where the Universal Church of Christ is sort of its its home. I mean, and, and, and denominationally, folks are, are familiar with that idea of having a, a church headquarters somewhere or another. Where's your church? Uh, where's the headquarters of your church, they might ask. Yes. And... And denominations can answer that question. Say, well, the headquarters of our church is in Nashville, Tennessee, yeah. or the headquarters of our church is in New York City, or something like that. Lake City. Salt, Salt Lake, Lake City. Salt Lake City. Yes, right. But in the New Testament, the Church of Our Lord never had such an earthly headquarters, and no governing body, a hierarchy of church structure, it just wasn't there. Right. Now we do have a head. He's in heaven. Well, if we want to be technical, well, our headquarters is in heaven, but it's not on earth anywhere where we have this centralized location or this centralized uh, function of activity. Do you so think it really difference. matters, though, to Christ, Jeff? I mean, do, are we being too picky? Does it matter to Christ? Well, it matters in the fact that he's not given us direction in his word that the church is to be organized on the universal level on the earth. So in the absence of passages... And I'm going to say that it does matter. Yes. Well, yeah, you made a good point uh, today about uh, tonight about his, his, it was so important to him that he died for the church. Yes. You know, if it, just on a physical level, I was building a house and I was going to spend a lot of money and a lot of time building a house. I would be particular about the details and the organization of that house. And it only makes sense that if Christ was willing to give us blood uh, to purchase the church, that he'd care about how it was organized. Yes. And if he's not told us to set it up somewhere on the earth in a universal sense, then we have to conclude that that's not to be done. All right. and, and it would be presumption in a very bad way for some man or group of men to assume a, a position of oversight or, or authority over the church that Jesus died to purchase with his blood when he didn't tell them they could do that. That's correct. That'd be like me. You've got a business, Jeff, and I just move in and start dictating how that business is going to be run without any authority from you to do so. Right. Uh, it, it'd be presumptuous and offensive, and we've got to believe that the Lord would be offended by those who try to set up some kind of hierarchical structure 
for the, the church on the universal level, worldwide level. It's just not in the New Testament. But the, the bottom line is it's just not in the Bible. If you're going to have such a thing, you're going to have to say, we'll do it with even though the Bible doesn't acknowledge such Yes, and, and to act in the absence of divine authority is to put ourselves in jeopardy of, of uh, judgment. I think so, too. Exactly. The number to call is 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeu.com. Or join in the chat room with other listeners. We have uh, some listeners in Singapore tonight. In Singapore, great. Singapore, and we have a listener in Greenville, Mississippi. So uh, all over uh, the world. Uh, and you may hear some background noise tonight with some of the children in the hallways and so forth. Uh, we've just concluded our gospel meeting. Jeff did a great job preaching on this very thing that we're talking about tonight, the organization and work of the church. Um Jeff, so the universal church, the worldwide, the, the conglomerate of all saved believers worldwide has no earthly organizational structure, no earthly um, officers or overseers, but that is contrasted with a local congregation, which does in fact have some structure to it. Yes, we can find passages where local churches were directed, uh, Paul and Barnabas at, uh, concluding their first journey, they uh, set up elders in every church. And so they appointed bishops. They appointed uh, those who had oversight. Then we have passages like 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. Uh, Peter exhorts elders in 1 Peter 5. Uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 17, the writer exhorts uh, believers there to submit to their rulers and obey who have the oversight. So that tells us that on a local level, there are men who meet divine qualifications. Again, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1 who will serve as shepherds, pastors, overseers, bishops, uh, presbyters. All those words mean the same, refer to the same office. And in the location, and Peter told them to oversee the church which is among you. So their oversight can only go as far as the four walls where that church exists and works and worships. They don't have any oversight beyond that location. I think that's a really important point there in 1 Peter chapter 5. Their authority to oversee was limited to the to the flock or the congregation of which they themselves were members. And so, if you have one congregation, the elders of that congregation have no authority whatsoever to oversee the work of another congregation, mm-hmm. not any part of the work of no. another congregation. They just no authority. For that, them. that that destroys uh, independence of each church in answering to the head. That's right. We sometimes use the word independent or autonomous local congregation, self governing, not connected by any organic or organizational uh, ties to anyone else. The, the elders of a local congregation don't report to some higher body. They don't receive instructions from right. a higher body. Right. Each local congregation, if we're going to follow the pattern of the New Testament, each local congregation is independent and self-governing. Now, Jeff, there are some qualifications for those men. Not just anyone can be yes. an elder. Right. Where do I find those qualifications? First uh, Timothy 3 is um, starting... Get my Bible turned there right quick. First Timothy chapter three starts in verse one. We'll go through verse seven. You find these these are character based, uh, spiritual based uh, qualifications. He must be a man. He, he can't be a woman. And okay. the Bible's not being sexist. That just in God's wisdom, women are not qualified to serve as uh, elders or bishops. He must uh, have children. Uh, he must be married. He has to meet uh, qualifications like um, he can't be a new convert. He must be temperate. He must be hospitable. He must be able to teach. He must not be addicted to wine. Um, must have a good reputation among those outside the church. That's First Timothy three. The list is is uh, for the most part repeated in Titus chapter one. There's a few additions there that's not mentioned in First Timothy three. But the man must meet those qualifications. Now it's interesting that some of those qualifications you just recited uh, they are very different than the qualifications for those who might 
hold an office like an elder yes. in many denominations. Yes, some, and with you know, with with deference to our Mormon friends, they call themselves elders, but usually they're men that's not even out of their twenties, okay. and they're single, they're not married, but yet they call themselves a, a, a Mormon elder, and that just begs the question: Well. Is, does that harmonize with what Paul was writing here in these passages? Now, in some denominations, uh, to hold the office of a bishop, per, yes. so, so which is the same office as an elder in biblical terms, yes. not necessarily in their terms, right. but uh, the, the person must be celibate, unmarried, yes. without right. children. And that clearly just violates the New Testament. All right, so we see some, some contrast there. Yep. Jacob, let's take our first break, and when we come back, we want to deal with a, a question that I sent out earlier today. What are some common errors in the religious world concerning church organization? Let's right, take we, a break, we, and we'll we, come back to right, that. We started getting into those, and we'll hopefully continue on on the other side, we'd like to take your comments over email, over the phone, or in the chat room tonight. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College of Church of Christ. Hello, my name's Jeffrey Vernon. I'm 13, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. That was me five years ago. Now I'm 18 and I still love listening to the virtual Bible study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And welcome back to the program tonight. We're glad you're on the other end of the line. We look forward to hearing from you on the email, over the phone, or in the chat room tonight. As we talk with Jeff Smith, who just concluded uh, preaching uh, our sermon for us tonight in our gospel meeting, uh, talking about the work and, orga- and organization of the church. We're talking about the organization of the church. that had a lot of uh, misunderstanding and maybe not misunderstanding, just misapplication of, of God's yeah. instructions on the organization yeah. of the church. Uh, exactly. So our, uh, when I asked that question, what are some of the common errors in the religious world concerning church organization, our friend Randy up in Jackson, Missouri, wrote and said, uh, he gave several suggestions. I think it's interesting. He said, uh, first of all, that it is a member-supported democracy similar to a club. One of, one of the ideas that people would have that would be an error concerning the organization of churches is that it is to function as a democracy. Yeah. Well, that's clearly not so because democracy indicates that whatever the majority wants, that's what they get just by the fact that they've got the numbers. But the Lord said he has all authority. And it's not a democracy, it's a theocracy. Yeah. You want to be technical about it. So Randy's right. People would have a wrong attitude to think that they have a vote that, they can, that the majority can rule. But in, in many denominational religious organizations, they do exactly that. Not too long ago, we interviewed a, a, a man who was a Presbyterian preacher who had recently attended the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in which they were taking votes to determine essential moral issues. Right. The, the particular moral issue that was under consideration was that of homosexuality, and they were taking a vote on that. But... Uh, uh, apparently, they s- assume that there's some kind of democratic or majority rule. Maybe there is in that denomination, but there's not in the church that we read about in the New Testament. Imagine that. You could take a vote to determine even matters of yes. truth. Uh, that's, uh, that's amazing. All right. Uh, Randy goes on and says, another error is that the church is run or directed by one man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff, all, all the time we hear about the pastor of this church or that church, the pastor of this church or that church, 
And obviously that's not biblical either. No, and pastor is a New Testament word, but when when uh, Paul uses the word pastor in Ephesians 4, he's talking clearly about elders, bishops, uh, shepherds in the local church, um, and it's in the plural. And so uh, the pattern in the New Testament is to have more than one elder o- oversee a local church. Uh, elders, plural, were appointed in each church singular, Acts 14. Tells us that. So. Yeah, we can t- consider what the, the modern pastor today in many denominations, uh, the role he fulfills is basically that of a preacher. It's somewhat of a hybrid role, I guess. He, yes. he, he is a leader and uh, somewhat like an elder and a preacher. Uh, he's uh, And he has all the authority, basically, yes, in does. the church. Right. All right, we don't see that in the, in the New Testament. All right, Randy suggests another error is that women can be placed in leadership over the church, including men. Well, that's very common today. It's very common, but Randy's right when he says that that's not biblical. No, it isn't. Uh, several passages in the Scripture, I see you turn to 1 Timothy 2, Mike. Right. Or, uh, uh, Mike. It's okay. 1 Timothy 2, Jeff. Right. Paul says um, in 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 9, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Mm-hmm. Now, again, that sounds awful sexist, but that's clearly the, the pattern of the New Testament, is that women, uh, they have certainly equal status with men in the, in the Lord. They're the fellow heirs of the grace of life, Peter says, mm-hmm. but they just cannot serve as... Uh, Elders, they cannot teach over men. That's not the Lord's pattern. It's God's so, design that they, yes. they take this role. So anytime if we saw a religious organization and they had women in leadership positions, whether our personal preference would be for that or not doesn't really matter. If we saw that, and we do, we see it frequently in the religious world today, when we see that, we see a church that is not organized the way God intends for it to be organized. Not only do we see it in denominational, but we even see it some in liberal churches that, that wear the name of Christ. We, we see among liberal churches or institutional churches women serving as deacons and some places women serving as elders. Yeah. Uh, Randy gives some other errors. I think he's on the mark with these things. Uh, uh, he says... Uh, it is an error to think that the local congregation is a part of a larger organization with a hierarchy of leaders in other locations. And we've already commented about that exactly right. He also says that it's an error of, uh, in the matter of organization to view the church or for the church to have its mission determined by a headquarters somewhere. And that, again, is something we just uh, already dealt with. But I think Randy is right on the mark with all of those observations. All right, 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. The chat room has gone quiet, so send your comments in there. We'd like to hear from you uh, tonight on the program. Uh, we've got some people sitting in tonight. Some of those who were in our worship service earlier have come and set in on the, uh, the, our discussion if you all have anything you want to add, <laughs> jump right in there. Uh, uh, Mike up in Orleans, Indiana has written, what are some of the common errors in the religious world concerning church organization? He says, uh, it's just that. We view the church as an organization rather than an organized group of people. The church is not an organization where one pays dues to belong, such as one would belong to the Kiwanis or Elks Lodge. Though there is nothing wrong with the building itself, when we have a located preacher, it might be easy to think of the preacher as the hireling to do most or all the work. Many members of the church think of themselves as inactive participants. 
Ephesians 4.16 compares the church to a body that is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We must all see ourselves as an active part of this organized body. We also see several unscriptural forms of organization, some rather than being governed by the scriptures, shepherded by elders and served by deacons and ministers. Men have sought to improve upon the Lord's pattern, making decisions through committees, synods, councils, and other types of organizations. Some of them have, some of them much larger and having greater oversight than just the local congregation. This inevitably leads to problems and unscriptural results. Uh, he goes on to say, just today someone sent an article from the Associated Baptist Press that said the Georgia Baptist Convention has withdrawn from the Druid Hills Baptist Church because they were not a cooperating church under the Articles of Faith. The decision was cast after the Druid Hills congregation refused to comply with the Articles of Faith, allowing a woman to reside as co-pastor. It's sort of ironic there, isn't it, that uh, they would have this organization you can't find in the Bible, yet they're going to be upset with someone having a woman in a position of authority, which yeah. you can't find in the well, Bible. Well, they took the right stand on the woman teacher yeah. thing, yeah. but they... Uh, and, and because of that, they got kicked out of their unscriptural organization. Uh, so they got, it, it, Mike just summarizes by saying they would not have such problems if they would simply abide by the confines of Scripture. I think that's definitely true. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Wade in Hampshire, Tennessee replies and says the organization of the church is clearly defined in my mind. I see passages like Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Or Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, he goes on, Jesus is listed as the head of the church in Ephesians 5.23. No earthly head exists for a universal church. Only local assemblies of the saints are ruled by elders. Acts 20, verses 28 through 29. Take heed to yourself, therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. All right. So, again, he's uh, summarizing some of the things that we already talked about concerning the, the universal church and its head, Jesus. Local churches overseen by elders and bishops. All right. Elders, bishops, pastors, synonymous term. Okay. Okay. Um, so th there's a lot to talk about, and, and uh, that's really a fairly cursory view of the, the very important subject of the organization of the church. And, Jeff, as you were saying in your lesson, if you took the Bible picture of how local churches are to be organized and nothing beyond that, and then you started searching around for religious organizations that follow that pattern, you wouldn't find very many that do. No. The vast majority of, of uh, religious folk. And, you know, I've often thought, I'm certainly glad that people are religious. Paul when he went to Athens, he perceived that they were religious. So there's nothing wrong with being religious, per se, but we want people to be religious in the right way. We, we want them to follow the religion of Christ. And so as you go looking around, you'll see this church and that church. You'll see just uh, just a wide array, a vast array of this and that. As I said tonight, if you're looking for something, you'll find it out there. Right. Because men will just will, will do what they want. They'll organize themselves where they want to. They'll, they'll engage themselves in works because that's what they want to do whether the scripture authorizes it or not. You know, I've heard it described as cafeteria religion. Yes. You go looking for what you want, and you can Jeff, find it. Jeff used the word smorgasbord That's in his right. lesson. That's right. And you there did. is a, a real smorgasbord, uh, a wide variety of available things out there. And if you can't find it, then some just start their own. 
They do. Exactly right. That's what they do. And that, of course, is where denominationalism has come from. That is part and parcel of the problem of denominationalism. Well, we've talked about the organization. The other part of this that we want to discuss, and again, we can only give sort of a thumbnail sketch of all these questions. We want to talk about the work of the church. So let's do that when we come back from our break. I will let you know that we're spreading the nausea around the world tonight. They're watching the video in Singapore. They got it working on their end. All right, good. All right. We know those folks in Singapore. We appreciate you for listening. We'll take a break. I wonder what time it is over there. I don't know. Must Uh, be midday tomorrow over there. Okay. All right. Uh, We'll take a break, and uh, we'll be back uh, shortly uh, on the Virtual Bible Day. Looking forward to your comments. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Free pizza, clowns, hot air balloon rides, You name it, and some religious group has tried it as a scheme to draw folks to their services. These things are fun. Who wouldn't like to play ball, eat good food, and be entertained? But here's the problem. These things all appeal to the carnal man and seek to satisfy his earthly desires. Instead of these, the Lord has made the church the pillar and ground of the truth, 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, and has designed its work and authorized its activities quote, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, Ephesians 4, verse 12. The church, if it is following God's plan, is working to build stronger men, not better softball players. When we challenge the food, fun, and games crowd to justify their practices from the scriptures, they usually refer to Jesus feeding the multitudes with loaves and fishes. They conclude that these examples demonstrate how Jesus fed the physical man to make an opportunity to feed the spiritual man. John chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. Sorry, that won't work. Keep reading. When the people came to Jesus the next day, he perceived that they came for more free food. He rebuked them and told them they ought to be seeking spiritual things rather than the carnal ones. Verses 22 through 27. He did not feed them again. As a result, many stopped following him, verse 66, but no food was offered to draw them back again. Carnal appeals do not lead to true conversion, and they are not authorized. The gospel is the power of God into salvation, Romans 1, verse 16. Let's use it. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Steve Novorak, reminding you to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight as we talk about the work and organization of the church. Lots of error in the religious world today. A lot of confusion. Confusion is not a good thing. It's not from God. It's not what He desires. But He's made His uh, plan very simple and very clear to us if we'll simply look to His Word and follow it in the organization and work of the church. We've talked about the organization. Let's get into the Well, we got maybe well, we some observations some from right. our I audience. The gun, we uh, got a live studio audience tonight. Yeah, and uh, we've got a camera on them even. Uh, <laughs> but we don't have a camera on them. Oh, I forgot to turn that camera on. Well, we can work on that later. Arthur, Arthur they're giving the thumbs up. They don't like the camera. Arthur uh, uh, is one of the bishops here uh, in the congregation, and uh, he has a comment. Arthur? You know, I've known on many occasions when you'd have those that uh, – come to the congregation where you attend and one of the first things they want to know what do you have for the young people what do you have for me what is in it for me rather than think in terms of you know really what is it about it's what god would have us to do you know and you think about uh, matthew 16 18 he says upon this rock i will build my church and if it be christ's church why would he not have the right to dictate what is being done in that church that's right that's right it seems like the focus and concern 
a lot is on uh, on what uh, the church can do for me, rather than uh, is it organized scripturally, is it uh, being what God would have it to be. Appreciate uh, those comments, Arthur. All right, uh, the organization of the church, uh, what about the work of the church? All right, let's talk about the other thing that Jeff covered in his lesson tonight, which is also very important and, again, generally misunderstood and, and uh, not carefully followed, has to do with the work of the church. Um, Jeff, you did what we typically do, and that is to suggest that you could break down the work of the church into three general areas. Yes, the I believe the main work of the church is evangelism or evangelizing the lost, preaching the gospel. Um, then secondly, the church uh, has authority, we see in the scripture, to edify its members, and that word edify means to build up or to exhort, to encourage. And then thirdly, the church may, on a limited basis, engage in benevolent help to, uh, to a select group of people. So when we talked about the work of the church in, term, in, in, in the respect of evangelism, we simply point out tonight that evangelism is a worldwide need because all men are lost and dying in sin. That's man's greatest need. We need to be saved more than we need our next breath of air. And so mm-hmm. the church's work is to, is to preach and teach the gospel, direct men toward Jesus Christ that they may be saved from their sins, whether it's uh, through preaching uh, in terms of, of a man preaching in an assembly or if it's something as, as simple as going to homes and having home Bible studies, whether it's the preacher or an elder or just a, just a committed member of the church, going talking to his neighbor. All those things would be involved in evangelism, and that's the, that's the church's bread and butter work. Exactly right. Um, the Many religious organizations, though, have diverted away from those simple three points that you just suggested to put the church in the business you use the expression in your lesson of serving the whole man. Uh, I, I, I need to have the gospel preached to me, but I, I need some fun and good times, too. Right. You know, I, I need a little diversion. Yeah. I need a little recreation. We, we sort of started the lesson tonight. Well, not sort of. We did start the lesson with this little drawing of, a, of a, just an average intersection that you might find in America. And sometimes, I mean, literally, you, you'll see churches across the intersection, one from another, and they have totally different programs. They have different works. They sometimes teach uh, opposing messages. And so here, here's this truth seeker, and he's, he's trying to find a church home. Well, where am I going to go? Right. Where, where am I going to worship? And so he'll see this church, well, they've got a gymnasium, and they've got a, a family life center, and they've got a fellowship hall where they eat uh, common meals. And the church across the street, they don't have any of those things. So one church thinks it's okay to do it, and one church thinks it's not okay to do it. And if that's what I'm looking for, I'll go to the one that has the best, the best gym and serves finest food. Well, and, and some say sometimes that the church has become the poor man's country club because they've got weight rooms and tracks and basketball uh, courts and handball courts and, and on and on we could go. But normally you have to pay for, say, in a spa or a gym somewhere. Right. But the church provides that because they want to serve the whole man, his social needs, his spiritual needs as well. Sometimes so that uh, that uh, motivation is not necessarily to serve the, the physical man, but to allure them in right. uh, with these things so you can get them close uh, Dad, I think you were part of the conversation one time. We were talking to someone about this, and uh, he said it's a short walk from the gymnasium to the sanctuary. In other words, you get them playing basketball, and then they might, uh, while they're looking for the water fountain, while we're here, yeah, yeah, they might stumble into the auditorium where we can teach them a little bit. Well, what's the old saying? You know, what you convert a person with, that's what you convert them to. Okay. And so uh, we convert people to Christ. We we use the gospel because we want people converted to the Lord, not to a not to a carnal activity. Because if you take that away. Say a church, for example, serves hot dogs to a to a, a, 
a group of people who are wanting to eat. Well, they, they start going to that church. In the church down the road, they're going to serve footlongs. Where, where are they going to go? <laughs> well, they'll go get the footlongs. And so yeah. whatever you serve people, if that's what they want, then that's what they're converted to. Yeah. And you take it away, then they'll leave. Okay. Uh, Arthur. And I keep thinking when you're talking about that, I think about really, you know, what are they in essence saying? The power's not in the gospel. That's exactly right. Romans 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, the Jew first, also the Greek. They're That's ashamed of the, the gospel. That's where the power is. And they're ashamed of the not gospel. In, not That's in right. eating and drinking and yep. what I like and what I well, enjoy. If, 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 if not, Jacob used the word they're ashamed of the gospel. If they're not ashamed of it, at least they are uh, saying it's not sufficient. It's, it doesn't have enough power. It needs some help. Mm-hmm. That or I'm, I just want to backdoor it into the people rather than just uh, confronting them with their need for the gospel. Yeah. All right. Um, I asked the question to our update list earlier today. Did the Lord intend for the church to be engaged in a social welfare or reform? So we got some churches engaged in recreation. We got other churches who are really trying to change the social order. You know, we got we got some bad problems of poverty and destitution, and we live in a very prosperous place. But there are places in the world where poverty is just rampant and people are hurting. And so there might be a need to build a hospital. Or I hear about some religious groups who are going over in Africa and drilling water wells for people who don't have clean drinking water. Those are noble enterprises. Yes, and our heart goes out to people who find themselves in situations of plight. Uh, We're not not, uh, making light of any of that. But the simple fact remains, we can only be governed by the New Testament. And so if we cannot find directions from the head of the church that his body can engage in those kinds of activities, then we cannot engage in them. I really think, and I I would go back to the point you made earlier, Jeff, the reason why the Lord didn't put the church in that business, again, it's, it's a worthy thing to get clean water for people to drink. But the reason why the Lord didn't assign that to the church is that the, he gave the church an even more important job than that, more important than clean drinking water, is the the water of life that Jesus said would give a man uh, an eternal home in heaven. And so he gave that job to the church. There there are other organizations, and we all might choose to get involved in such organizations as would go and do benevolent or charitable acts to help people in, in poverty. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 teaches that we should. Exactly right. But that's not the work that he gave the church to do. All right. Um, uh, I got some response here by email. Um and we, we're still we're still uh, monitoring our email. If you want to join in, you can do that. Uh, Randy in Missouri says, "Did the Lord Church intend for the church to be engaged in social welfare, welfare or reform?" He says, "Yes, but probably not the way most think. The church should act as a welfare a welfare support for the members of the local church. New Testament teaches that we are to help those in need in our local church while not enabling them to be lazy or irresponsible." The New Testament does not teach that we are a social welfare organization for the world. While we might individually get involved in some causes, it is not a church function. We are to be involved in social reform not by changing the society or government directly, but by changing individual people who will in turn change society. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what we see in the scriptures, Jeff. I mean, Jesus Jesus lived in a time when there was a lot of political corruption and social injustice. Mm-hmm. But the way he addressed that was to teach the will of God, and as men's lives are brought in compliance with the will of God, society changes for the better. Yes, like, for example, uh, slavery was uh, prevalent in the first century. And a runaway slave named Onesimus ran away. Paul met him at Rome, and Paul converted him. 
But then what did Paul do? He, I mean, he didn't say, now, Onesimus, you become a Christian, so you don't have to be a slave anymore. No, he sent him back to his master. So we would change slavery by changing the hearts of men individually. And, and I think we see that in, in the history of mankind. I think the influence of the gospel of Christ has affected slavery in, in many places in the world. Even people who, who don't really acknowledge the, Jesus as their Lord have their... Society in, in many places has been influenced by the principles of Christianity, even, men are, even, if, even in the lives of men who are not themselves Christian. One thing that I would say that I did not say in the lesson, that I, it just came to my mind a few minutes ago. When we talk about benevolence, what we see in the New Testament is that when there was a need and the church um, acted in terms of helping needy saints, it was never to be a permanent or long-term it was short-term aid, and when the need was met, then the help or the aid stopped. But the only exception to that that I can acknowledge would be First Timothy 5, yes, about verse in, 8, where right. certain widows would be made the permanent yes. benevolent charge of the church. But other than that, other as than you that, said, yes. it, was, it was temporary as the need existed. Yes. All right, we've got a question in the chat room, and it's a good question. It comes from Karen tonight. Uh, she says, how would you answer the question that the Church of Christ doesn't help people who struggle with problems like alcoholism? homosexuality, gambling issues, addictions, etc. How would you answer that question, Jeff? Well, that's a good question, and what, we've, what we won't do first is what a lot of churches do, and that's to have some sort of a, um, and I may struggle with getting the terminology right, but having some sort of a support group that you see many churches. Alcoholics uh, Anonymous. Something like that, or Gamblers Anonymous. or, or Watchers. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. But what we would do would be teach what the New Testament teaches on the sin of gambling, the mm-hmm. sin of drunkenness or drinking, the sins of, uh, of a sexual nature, whether it's promiscuity or heterosexual or homosexual promiscuity. We would teach the gospel of Christ on those issues. And in that sense, we'd be helping the person out of those sinful situations. Yeah. Uh, I, Nick and, answers the question. Now, let me throw this in here before your comments, Dad. The Bible contains the answers to those problems. We, the members, uh, must practice love. Whoops, it slid off the screen on me there. Must practice love and patience while guiding them in the truth of the Scriptures. I think that's exactly right. I agree with Nick. Uh, you know, the, the presumption is that if we don't have some institutionalized approach to these issues, then we're not dealing with them. For instance, if we don't have some kind of alcoholics uh, counseling service or some kind of a, of a structure, a, maybe maybe a, a treatment facility of some sort or another, then we're not we're not involved in those problems. Uh, that is that is not the case. We teach the truth, and then we try to help people comply with the truth. And I, I know of Christians, uh, even in this very congregation that have been involved in interventions with people who are dealing with alcohol. I know of people who've been helped to get into rehab kind of facilities. Uh, I know of people who have uh, attended with others who are are fighting the problem of alcohol, attended uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and so forth. It's a mistake to say that if we don't have some organizational structure that addresses alcoholism or uh, the problem of uh, unwed mothers or uh, so forth, that we're not involved in the problem. That, that's a mistake. That's wrong. All right. Uh, Aaron in uh, Singapore tonight says, if we aren't helping people to repent of such sins, then we aren't doing our job. But our help is of the same sort that we find in the New Testament, teaching, not social services. He also asked, could you be more specific in uh, what sense we do not help? Yeah. You're saying we don't help. Be more specific. Well, I, I think, uh, and I don't know. I don't well, you're know saying You're saying the programs... Or the things, uh, 
that would be outside of the scriptural teaching on well i think karen's dealing with that issue people are saying well the church of christ doesn't help people who are dealing with those issues i think that's wrong i think the people who are offering that criticism are are saying because we don't have some recognized organizational or institutional plan in place that therefore we're not trying to help people and that's just wrong we are trying to help people okay we're trying to teach and encourage uh, jeff uh, on a daily right. basis well like for example let's let's put it this way you know i'm not I'm not trying to be too political here, but we have a problem in our country where you know we just throw money at a lot of problems. And so when you talk about helping people, you mean like through some some uh, social institution where we're going to spend money on the problem. Well, we're going to uh, address the real problem. The real problem is not uh, alcoholism, but it's the problem of sin of drinking. And so we're going to try to get to the problem where the the root of it is that it violates the will of Christ. And you solve that, then the other issues will go away eventually. Exactly right. All right. We, um, I've got some emails here. Jake, right. Mike in Orleans, Indiana says, did the Lord intend for the church to be engaged in social welfare or reform? He says that depends on one's definition of social welfare reform. Is it a primary function of the church to provide material benevolence to non-saints? No scripture would support such an idea. However, we do have an obligation to help others in need as we have opportunity. I feel we often fall short in this sense. The church, since it is a collectivity of individuals, each member should help others. We should all participate in this. So in that sense, collectively, but each man acts as an individual, it, that, uh, if that makes any sense. In other words, I, I think Mike is, is in agreement with us that the church, from its collective treasury, is not authorized to spend funds in those ways, but we as individuals should. And he mentions several scriptures that tell us as individuals to be benevolently minded people. I, I, I think that's very important. I, I, I believe we should stress that, certainly it's as individuals. Like we should be benevolently inclined. We should work in that matter. But the church is not authorized to help uh, in general benevolence. The church, as you said, Jeff, is a very limited role in relieving the needs of saints. All right, Arthur. Go ahead. Yes, I just kept thinking when y'all were talking there. It just seemingly, you know, that so many th- people think, you know, if you don't meet their social needs, you know, you're you're really not helping them. You know, that seemed to be, it's not a social thing, it's a heart thing. That's the thing that we're working on is the heart and not to feel the, the fleshly appetite. And a lot of those other problems will resolve themselves uh, once the heart is made. Right. All right. When do you take a break? Uh, right. you, are you finished with Mike's yeah, email? Yeah, I think yeah, he's got yeah. several other uh, points that we can't get to as a result of time. But uh, let's uh, go ahead and take a break, our last break, then we go to the top of the hour. Discussing the organization and work of the church. If you'd like to comment, we look forward to hearing from you. Don't go anywhere. The program continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we'll hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. 
Hi, my name is Zach Coleman, and when I'm listening to the virtual Bible study, I love to hear comments from other listeners. So please join in tonight's discussion by sending an email or by making a phone call. The address is questions at collegeview.com, and the phone number is toll-free, 877-381-4567. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And we're glad that you're here on the program tonight. Uh, we want to... Uh, hear from you on the program. Plenty of time to take your comments. Uh, send them in. We look forward to hearing from you. Jacob, let's real quickly, let's, let's review. Okay. Before we, okay. We've been talking about the work in the church. Jeff, review the three works that you've, uh, you've described and outlined. Again, not your opinion, but what you believe the scriptures teach right. on what the church should be involved in. We can find passages that uh, detail the church's work in three main areas. The church is to be involved in evangelizing the lost, that is, preaching the gospel of Christ right. to men and women who are lost and dying in sin. Right. We can find passages that direct the church uh, on a local level. This would not be universal because the church is not organized to work universally. But on a local level, the church is to be involved in edifying or building up its members Mm -hmm. through different ways, as we pointed out in the lesson tonight. And then thirdly, we can find local churches who are involved in benevolently helping uh, two groups of people, uh, needy saints where that church is in that location, and also they can send help to needy saints elsewhere who are suffering some some need for some reason. Again, it's important to Christ. If you were going to make a machine just on a physical level, you would want that machine to do what you designed yes. it to do. Right. And then Christ died for the church. He wants it to work and act in ways that he's authorized. Right. All right, Arthur? And two, you know, I might just add the fact that, uh, you know, when you're sending it to the preacher, you send it directly to him. And when it's benevolent in another congregation, you send it to the elders, and they take care of that. You know, that, that was the fourth question I sent, and I don't think we're going to have very much time to cover that, Arthur, so you've kind of covered that briefly. For there, I asked if, uh, to explain the difference in pattern between the way local churches support preachers to do evangelism and the way one church might assist another in a case of extreme benevolent need. Always in the New Testament pattern, when churches supported preachers, the money went directly from that local church to the preacher. No intervening organization, no missionary society or overseeing board. And, and they didn't send it from one church to another church to send it on to the, to the preacher. Sometimes some of our brethren do that, and they call it a sponsoring church. It was always directly from the sending church to the receiving preacher. That's how they did benevol- or, uh, evangelism. Or that's how they did evangelism. In the matter of benevolence, when there was a benevolent need, we see this in the last chapters of Acts chapter 11, the last verses of Acts chapter 11, when there was a benevolent need that a local congregation couldn't meet from its own resources, one congregation would send to another congregation, send to the elders of that church who would oversee the distribution of those funds to the needy saints there. That was in cases where the receiving church could not accommodate its own benevolent need. Other churches would send to that church, again, no intervening organization or structure, but one church might send to another, and the receiving church under the oversight of its elders would distribute those funds to the saints as they had need. Arthur? Need is a key word. You keep saying yeah. need. It's not just you know because you want to send it to them. There's a need, and when that need was met, then there was no need to further send funds to them. All right. Okay. Got again, just a, again, we're talking about what the scriptures teach. We want to do it like uh, the Lord wants. You know, somebody said, "Well, what's, why is that so important?" You know, Jeff, how would you, again? We asked this question sort of earlier, but this business of following the pattern, send directly to the church, sends directly to the preacher re- who receives the funds. Why is that so important? Why do you get all upset about that if they don't <laughs> do, do it that way? Well, because we have passages like Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus 
sort of, uh, well, not sort of, but he does depict a, a judgment scene. He says, many in that day will say to me, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, look at all the, you know, we've prophesied in the name, we've done many uh, wonderful works in that we've name. We've been doing a lot of things. Uh, look at the good that we've done, and, yeah. and good is not going to be defined as man defines it. Right. But the Lord will say, depart from me. You that work iniquity, and that word iniquity means lawlessness. So you may have you may have done quote unquote good deeds, but I didn't approve of them. Yeah, he didn't say you weren't doing anything. He just said you weren't you weren't doing them according to the. So past. if we have any hope at all of meeting the Lord favorably in judgment, we're going to have to do things His way. All right. Okay. Uh, we just got a few minutes left, Jacob. Let's deal with this question that I ask, and not everyone understood it. Uh, is there a difference between the individual Christian and the church? Yes or no? Explain your answer. Uh, one emailer said, I don't understand the intent of the question. It's hard to answer. And and then I realized maybe the, the question wasn't word, worded clearly enough. We But we've kind of been talking about this, Jeff, right along. You and I might organize a, a, a softball team and enter a league. We could do that. Yes, we could. Uh, and it would be fun. It would be good. We might get would good Would you be out. any good? No. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but it'd be you know, it'd be a fun activity. Or we could have you talked earlier about serving foot long hot dogs. We could have a, a, a hot dog roast, you know, and build a bonfire and and have a hayride and it could be at your house or at mine or somebody else's house. We could do that. We do do that. Now, we're saying the church has no business in those bit in, in those affairs. There's a distinction between what the church can do and what individual Christians might do. That's what we're trying to point out here. Right. A person can own a business. Right. And the church operate a business. All we have in terms of of uh, New Testament passages, in terms of where a church uh, gets its money, is from the free will donations of its members. Mm-hmm. Can we have car washes and bake sales and garage sales and things of that nature to raise money for the church? The answer would be no. There's no authority for that. Right. Um, one, one really good place, I think, in the New Testament to see that distinction between what an individual can do and what it... Uh, it's been submitted several times in the chat room. Oh, has it? Yeah, but go ahead. All right. Uh, show, show well, us. in First Corinthians, or First Timothy, rather, First Timothy 5, verse 8, you know, if any provide not for his own, especially those of his own household, he's worse than an infidel. So we have an obligation to care for our own family members. And in verse 16 of First Timothy 5, he says, If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. And that, there's not a better place, in my opinion, in the scriptures that shows the distinction between individual activity and church activity. So that individuals are in, authorized to do things and should be doing things that the church has no authority to do. And so you know, sometimes people say, well, you don't have any programs for the young people. Well, we try to keep the, I mean, families and individuals try to engage the young people to give them recreation, diversion, entertainment. But it's not the work of the church to do that. No, and that kind of thing won't save the young people, mm. Jeff. There no, are young people all over the world that are going to be lost, and they're, they're eating a lot of hot dogs. That's right. But what's going to save them is the, the work of the church, Absolutely. the evangelists. The gospel of Christ will in- instruct them to be more godly and more, more uh, moral in terms of our culture, and to the extent that the church can teach them the principles of the gospel of Christ, that will save them. Okay. Uh, Wade in Hampshire says, is there a difference in an individual and a church? I think that that question should be worded more like, is there a difference between what an individual and church can do? We all know there's a difference between a group and an individual. The problem exists when people assign work to a church that the church has no business doing. Sometimes we have to use extremes to illustrate what seems to be right. I would use uh, I, I would use to ask the question, 
Can the church build a hot dog stand? Now I'm not sure if that example works or not. Some people today would say yes because churches today are doing things that are, that not even their own members would have been in, uh, agreed with 20 years ago. The problem is that the, the members are justifying it and leaving it to the direction of the leaders of the church. We need to take to make sure that we are reading the scriptures and ho- holding our leaders accountable. They are human and make mistakes. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 16 would be the best place to go. And he, he quotes that verse. It's also easy to see that Paul is directing instructions to certain groups in places like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wife even as Christ loves the church. So his point the there at the end of that is that there are a lot of instructions in the New Testament that are to individuals. Mm-hmm. And there are instructions that are to local churches to act. Uh, and, and we have to we have to be wise enough in discerning the will of God to make the dis, the distinction, the difference between the two. And so, in the matter of uh, fun, games, good times, entertainment, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's wholesome activity. But it's not the work of the church to provide such. Let that be done in the realm of the home. In First Corinthians chapter eleven. Uh, Paul rebuked the church at Corinth for coming together to observe a common meal. And he said, do that at home. Yes. And don't do that when you come together as a church. Arthur? I uh, keep thinking, you know, Jeff, that was the last verse that you had uh, quoted. And I just wonder if that should not have been the first one. When I was thinking about Ecclesiastes 12, and I believe it's uh, 13. And uh, Solomon had reached a conclusion there that uh, one thing that you was to do was to fear God and keep His commandments. That's right. And then, you know, you read Colossians 3.17, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, are all in His name. Right. So that just, that, that just summation of all of it. Right. You've got to have authority for what you do. All right. All right. We're just about out of time, Jacob, but I think this is an important subject. It's, it, we've gone through it in rather hurried fashion. We've had to kind of just hit the high spots. But it is so important for us to understand how the church is to be organized and to understand the work that God has given the church to do. Uh, and unfortunately, most religious groups are not paying attention to either one of those is aspects. It, is it complicated, Jeff? Well, no, we make it complicated. Okay. But if it, all this we've been talking about... There's a common thread that runs through all this, and is knowing the will of God. If we know the will of God, if we know the New Testament, if we know the Scripture, then all the answers are right there for us. You know, you stop and think, can you imagine the Apostle Paul uh, organizing and promoting a softball team in the church at (laughs) Ephesus? I mean, that's so, so foreign to anything that you read in the New Testament. I can see Paul saying something like, the Lord did not die for this body to us have a have a carnal activity like playing softball. And uh, he would say, I'm not going to go to prison so we can play softball. (laughs) That's right. All right. Jeff, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you very much. And, Dad, uh, let's let's remind our listeners one more opportunity to come and be a part of Tomorrow night, we're going to conclude our gospel meeting tomorrow night. John Gibson from Athens, Alabama, will be here to talk about the end of the world and final judgment. And there's some false teaching that takes place on that very simple subject, so that will be an important study tomorrow night. 7 o'clock here at College View if you're in the Middle Tennessee area. We'd love to have you come and visit with us. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Thanks, Jacob. And we appreciate you for being on the other end of the line. We hope that you'll make it a plan to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.